Hi, and welcome to the episode number 20 of Sustainability Explored, a podcast where we discover and explore different shapes of sustainability in business and economy. A place where we make complicated concepts easy and understandable, where buzzwords like ESMS, ESG, CSR, PRI, etc. finally start making sense. Every week I invite one leading professional in the field of sustainability across any industry to share his or her views on the present and future of the world through the prism of sustainable development. This week I want to shed some light on the green, inclusive and open economy. For this I invited a co-founder of a platform called R3.0, Ralph Torm. Stay with us if you want to know why we need a regenerative and distributive economy and why just sustainability is not enough, while waiting for our guest, a short musical pause for you. Hi, and my guest today is Ralph Term. He is a leading professional in sustainable innovation and strategy, operational sustainability, sustainability change management, reporting, and thrivability. Ralph today will tell us about his initiative called R30. Ralph, hi. Hey, Anna. Nice to be on your show. Can you please introduce yourself a little bit more? Yes, of course. I funnily start to call myself a young veteran in the field of sustainability. I've been involved in the field actually since 1988. That was one year after the launch of the Brundtland Report, which was the first real international report about sustainable development. That caught me very much. I studied economics. I was wanting to know what can sustainability actually do to economic theory? And that got me into the field. I then worked for Siemens, a big company, for about 10 years and became their first yeah, sustainability head, you can say. It was the Sustainability Strategy Council that Siemens set up that time. That was still the time when you had to do with a board that was sort of half excited and the other half was asking you to make sustainability go away. So you had to be a real activist in the field. And one of the things that I was interested in during that time was to get some more structure into what is it that sustainability is all about. And that is when I learned about an initiative called GRI, the Global Reporting Initiative. I got involved in the GRI in 1998, so shortly after they formed. And when they moved to Amsterdam in 2002, I became their first COO. And under my leadership, also the third generation of the GRI guidelines was developed. So I was responsible for the principles work stream. So we'll talk a little bit about that, I'm pretty sure. And in 2008, I stopped working for GRI and joined Deloitte because during my time at GRI, I was also very much looking into the world of accounting and consulting and what they can do for sustainability if they got it right. And so I worked for them for a couple of years. And then in 2012, the Rio Plus 20 conference happened. That was 20 years after the first Rio conference. And we looked at the outcome document called The Future We Want, looked at each other, and we thought, well, is that really the right thing to do, the future we want? Isn't it the future we design? So actually, we thought it's time for a redesign of all of the tools and standards and benchmarks to really serve the idea of a green, inclusive and open economy. And that's how we started R3.0 in early 2013, now going into our seventh year of existence. 
What does R3.0 do? What does the 3 stand for, R stand for? Yeah, we started actually because many of us were in the reporting, transparency, disclosure field. And you already heard I was working for GRI, so very much looking into GRI-based reporting thinking that reporting is really very much a very important piece of that transparency agenda that sustainability needs. So we started actually as reporting 3.0 until last year, because through the work that we've been doing in the last six, seven years, it has really become more of a work ecosystem where reporting is just one part of the overall field. And we actually reshaped our name into R3.0, and that stands for Redesign for Regeneration and Resilience. And you may then say, okay, now I know the three R's, what is the dot zero? And that actually also has a meaning. It stands for the aim that if we want to achieve a green, inclusive and open economy, or as we will later call it, regenerative and distributive, then there is more needed than just reducing negative impact. It is actually going beyond a zero negative impact line. And that's where the dot zero stands for, that that is a minimum requirement to achieve sustainability on its way to regeneration and to a green, inclusive and open economy. So R3 stands for redesign for regeneration and resilience beyond a zero negative impact line. Mm -hmm. That's very interesting indeed. I want to let the listeners know that when I approached Ralph for this interview, I wanted to talk to him about circular economy and green economy. I wanted to learn about it myself and at the same time share broadly with the audience. But then Ralph, you said, we are not talking about the green or circular economy. It's rather inclusive regenerative and distributive economy. How are those terms different? In which way? Yeah, let me go back a little bit into the history of sustainability and at the same time also critique how it is mainly used in most organizations nowadays. When the original concept was received in 1987 through the Brundtland report, it was really about the well-being of every human on this planet. So it was really about people, planet and prosperity. And when you look at how sustainability is understood all over the world, it's mainly people, planet, and profit. It has been degenerated into something that fits better to the corporate world and their quarterly reporting demands. At the same time, one of the major preconditions of sustainability is what we call intergenerational equity. So you may know that sentence or may have heard that sentence from the Brundtland report mentioned quite often where we say, don't do anything that would restrict future generations to have the same opportunity than your generation has. That's what intergenerational equity stands for. And at the same time, look at any company or ask anybody in a company, what are you doing to secure that intergenerational equity? And you will look into questioning eyes. So in the end, what we are saying is that, honestly speaking, we're advocating or we're using sort of a comic version of the original concept of sustainability, which is much too short to achieve what the original plan was. And that was really a macroeconomically based concept that wants system change. And what you see overall, you know, while many of the organizations do something and are reporting about it, the global footprint, the environmental footprint, has just moved up to 1.7 planet Earths. So the impact that we're having is just, well, incremental and by far not enough because we're really moving into a two-planet world which we don't have. 
So what you see as a consequence of that on the political level and on the social level is that we're really having stress. You see that in the increased nationalism. You see that in many, many other areas where social issues come under pressure because of the economic system and the environmental status are not allowing us to become sustainable. So that is just an introduction to the idea of regeneration and what we call thriving. So if you look at how to best describe what that is and how it also differentiates from green and circular, let me first sort of define what regenerative and thriving means for us. So in the end, sustainability, as I explained it so far, is at the moment a process that can minimally achieve that we're not doing harm. But at the same time, this is not what is exciting people. It is a rather boring issue for many. And it's not, you know, making us excited. So when you talk to people in companies about sustainability, and you've described it in our pre-conversation as well, you know, it's not that exciting, big strategic issue that really gets organizations to transform or to change. It is really more seen as a sort of a hygiene factor. Well, something that we have to do because somebody outside demands it. When we talk about regenerative and distributive and about thriving, we mean a new excitement that goes beyond just doing no harm. It is really moving the needle towards doing good. So that actually means active strategies to first clarify that whatever an organization does has to be positive, best or often described as net positive, so that you give more than you take. There's just one connotation here that you cannot substitute one negative effect with another positive effect. So we're aiming at something that we call thriving, where it's meant to be gross positive, so that you have no negative impact, that's minimal sustainability, but you're actually doing good. So adding positive impact, that should be sort of the basic idea of a regenerative and distributive economy as well. An economy is always something that should serve the humans. And that also connects us back to the sustainability concept as it was originally conceived. It was not saving the planet. It was finding a way for human well-being in an environment that is resource constrained. So it was very, very human based. And that is something that we totally forgot. We have out-engineered the human being out of our normal processes around sustainability. So just to sum it up, sustainability as engineered today is just the reduction of negative impact. There is more, there's the other side, and that is what we call regenerative and distributive, where you actually do good or add a give more than you take, and by that actually also you know, excite people into, into that new paradigm, which would be regenerative and thriving. Right. Here is the question. You mentioned the organizations that have to strive for more than just a negative impact or zero impact. What shall they do if the CEOs or the top management, of course, these are the people that are very far from environmentalism, sustainability. These are just buzzwords to them. They are business, finance people. Would you suggest them having a dedicated sustainability, I don't know, officer in the team? Or is there a way that everybody in the company, everyone in the organization gets, you know, the sustainability peel, the some sustainability training, some shaping, kind of a shaping of a mentality in the sustainable way? Yeah, I think you're you're touching on a very important point. I've been in this field for around about 30 years now. 
And I've seen the rise of sustainability managers. First, there were environmental managers, then they became sustainability managers, then the rise of sustainability departments within organizations. But in the end, they have always somehow stayed alienated. In the end, what I was always wanting is that if there is a sustainability manager, he should be the most important strategist for the board of an organization. And over the years, what I've learned is that most success in companies happens if sustainability or thrivability would be much more what I would be looking at, is actually part of everybody's job description within an organization because sustainability or thrivability is per se a cross-cutting issue. You cannot say it's a very limited something that you pack into a department and at the end of the year comes a report. That's not what sustainability just per se is all about. It is really the thriving of human beings in a certain environment, and that includes every human being. So from that perspective, when you talk to somebody and he says, well, sustainability is not in my job description, you already know that something is wrong. So that's one part of the answer. But the other part of the answer to me is really a leadership issue. And that has a lot to do with how our current economic system and the incentives it gives has also impacted on education. So from my perspective, if people are studying economics and they're not covering sustainability as the basic construct of how an economy or an economic behavior lives within a social and an environmental environment, there is the illusion of separation. And that is what I think we see in mainstream education still today. There are just a couple of sustainability MBAs or minors that you see popping up, but the overall education system needs to be turned upside down. Sustainability and the sort of the disconnect between chemical education, physical education, biological education, and economic education is a representative of that illusion of separation. And we're not separated from this planet. It's also funny that we're talking about the externalization of effects. Well, this planet is a closed system. We cannot externalize into space. The only thing that we can do is externalize effects into the future. And that is exactly what intergenerational equity, a precondition of sustainability that I was talking about, covers. That, well, if you do that, you're diminishing the ability of future generations to have the same opportunity than your generation had. So from that perspective, education, learning, especially also for those in leadership positions, including CEOs, COOs, and CFOs, has to include sustainability. And it's actually also one of the fields that our 3.0 is putting a lot of emphasis on. And we can talk about that a little bit later if you want. Yes. Which areas do a regenerative and distributive economy entail? Well, when we were thinking about the 2012 outcome document, the future we want from the Rio Plus 20 summit, we were looking at each other and we said, so what do we see in reporting, in accounting, in data management, in the creation of business models, in transformation models? And we concluded none of that is fit for the future, fit for that task to actually get us to a regenerative and distributive economy. And I sometimes use that and I sometimes say green, inclusive and open economy, maybe to just explain that green, inclusive and open is more the sort of wording that is used in political fields and in the UN fields. And when you really look into more corporate areas, regenerative and distributive seems to be the better wording for that, but it means the same thing. So. 
that is maybe a good moment to also say a little bit how we actually approach this idea, because that gives an overview of what change needs we have. As I said in the beginning, we started as reporting 3.0. So we were looking into the existing reporting standards. We were looking into the benchmarks that do exist. And what we concluded is that they actually say nothing about sustainability. And I want to explain very quickly what it is. If you look at sustainability reports nowadays, they give you performance of an organization in various so-called material topic areas. So emissions and energy and water and biodiversity and anti-corruption, human rights, labor rights, you name it. And what you see is that that companies say, okay, this is our performance in that field. And they compare it to the performance of last year or the performance of the last three years, or sometimes an industry average or something like that. Well, ask yourself, what does that tell you about sustainability? Does that give you any hint that any performance is, let's say, minimally good enough to be called sustainable? And the answer is, you don't know. You have no clue about that. Because, you know, what you're doing is what we call numerator management. You just collect these data in these material topics, you compare it to last year or to something else, but there is no denominator that tells you, okay, this is what you would need to do to actually call any performance sustainable. And I'll become a little bit technical. This denominator actually entails what the GRI is asking for since 2002 in their sustainability context principle. They call for so-called thresholds and allocations. So thresholds are what's the play mass, you know, how big is the pie? Or look at Kate Raver's donut, you know, what's the operating space between the environmental ceiling and the social floors? That's what's available. And then the more important question is how much of that pie is for me? What's my piece of the pie? That's the so-called allocation. And that's what you measure your actual performance against. And only if this is available or that information is available, you can say, I do better than what my allocation is, or I do worse than my allocation is. And only then, by that point, you can actually talk about any performance to be sustainable. So what we're seeing is, is that we have six to 8,000 sustainability reports coming out every year, and there are no sustainability re reports. What they talk about is ESG, progress, environmental social governance progress. But that's not saying anything about sustainability. And at the same time, you have about more than a thousand products in the rating, rankings, and index world that then look at the question, who is best in class of those that tell me that they became less bad? And they call that sustainability ratings. None of them say anything about sustainability, actually. So we're living in a sort of a blind flight world where everybody shouts sustainability and nobody can prove it. So this is actually, that was our first major recommendation where we say, if you want to be sustainability-based, you need to have a sustainability context in place. And at the same time, we're seeing the rise of the idea of multiple capitals and measuring multiple capitals. So not only just financial capital, but also natural capital, social capital, human capital, intellectual capital, and how to bring that into perspective with those context-based approaches and then have something that we would actually call a total contribution of an organization. And contribution means doing good and not just only decreasing 
your negative impact. So this is what we actually pulled together as the first part of our work. And then we discovered in order to allow those reports to happen, you would need a change in accounting. You would need a change in the way how we gather data. It's not just company data, it's also outside data where you get your thresholds and allocations from. And if that would be available, how would it change your business models so that you're actually serving the idea of a regenerative and distributive economy? And what that led to was what we call our R3.0 work ecosystem. And the deliberations that we're bringing out are so-called blueprints. We have already published five blueprints in the areas of reporting. That's what I mentioned right at the start here. On accounting, on data management, on new business model design. And then finally, as a sort of a summary of those four, also a step-by-step process of how you can implement that in an organization. And actually, that would lead to transformation. So we call that blueprint a transformation journey blueprint. So to sum up what you were asking, well, an organization that really clearly wants to look into sustainability and wants to serve the idea of a green, inclusive, and open economy would need to look into those blueprints and into the recommendations that we give with regard to reporting, with regard to accounting, data management, new business model design, and how to implement that through a transformation journey process. So that is the sort of what an organization can actually do in order to be future ready for the idea of such an economy. And when you then ask, okay, what is then a green, inclusive and open economy or a regenerative or distributive economy? It is really very much looking into sort of five different aspects. And that is where companies can actually be active in. It would look into true costing. So what are the, if you internalize external effects into your cost accounting, what would that entail? You would also need what we call true benefiting. So how would you measure the positive impact that an organization has towards what we call system value? You would look into true pricing. So if you translate that into pricing information of your products, leading to the sustainable product becoming cheaper and the less sustainable product becoming more expensive, that would have a big impact on markets and the preference of consumers to actually buy more sustainably. Then you would also need to look into true taxation, because at the moment we're taxing the most valuable thing that that we have, that's the workforce of labor. We're not taxing the resource use. So a sustainable taxation system would turn that perspective upside down. And then you would finally look into true remuneration, where you need governance regimes that actually are not benefiting leaders to be unsustainable, but benefiting leaders that are sustainable. So the sort of golden handshake mentality that we've seen of leaders, you know, driving down or letting organizations close to collapse and then disappear with a golden handshake is just perverse. Exactly. If you sum that up with those five truths, so to say, you have the basic idea of what an organization does and what a macro system change would look like in order to design an economic system that would allow to be green, inclusive and open or regenerative and distributive, because that is what the market would then automatically do. And that would be to benefit the more sustainable solution and to punish the unsustainable solution. We're far away from that, but those are the areas that need to be covered. And this is where Reporting 3.0 puts the majority of its work towards, just simply also because we see ourselves different from others. We call ourselves pre-competitive and market-making. Everything that we do is what we think is necessary 
for achieving a green, inclusive and open economy, whereas the standards world, the benchmarking world, the corporate world, the finance world at the moment is not going further than just to do what's politically opportune or practically possible. And that, honestly speaking, is not enough. And again, it goes back to the original definition of sustainability that was given already in 1987 and since then is bluntly ignored. I love this pre-competitive and market-making. The GRI report and globally is recognized as the one, like the most famous one and the most in use globally all over the world. We even used it at the bank at the here that I told you in Ukraine. Mm -hmm. But even though, even I noticed, I did it once, but I, I noticed it does not reflect a lot of, how shall I even put it, a trustworthy information. You don't know what to compare yourself to. If you're doing it for the first time, you're just reporting where you are, but you are not compared to where you were before and you're not compared to anyone else because it's not compulsory, because there is no obligation that companies or banks or whoever else reports on sustainability or just the GRI reporting yearly on the annual basis, like for everyone. Will we arrive ever to the point of compulsory reporting. I think it's inevitable. And even GRI recognizes that. The point is just simply, what is it that you need to actually disclose? If you say you're doing sustainability reporting, then you need to confer to what the GRI actually put into its own guidelines, described very well in the sustainability context principle. And it says, if an organization is not able to compare itself to the demands and limits those are other words for thresholds and allocations, honestly, then you're failing your disclosure requirement. And still, only 0.3% of all sustainability reports worldwide refer to sustainability context. So it's a total failure in the sense of applying the principles of the GRI guidelines. So in our reporting blueprint, we actually have something that we call the new impetus, and where it says, what is it really that an organization has to report on? And it's mainly three things. It's what is your purpose? Why do you need to exist now? And why do you need to exist in the future? Secondly, define what success in sustainability means for you. That would include context-based multi-capitalism and explaining that you are not crossing your own allocations. Only then you can call any performance sustainable. And finally, the third pillar is scalability. How is it or how are you contributing as an organization to the education, collaboration, and advocation for economic system change? And only then, I do believe, you can really call a sustainability report really a sustainability report. Right. Is there a chance we will see R3.0 report and framework globally recognized? What do you think? Well, we hope so. That's what we're actually advocating for. But at the same time, and that is what I explained, you know, you would also need moves or synchronized moves in accounting, in data architecture and management, in the design, how business models are created. So there is a synchronicity here between those four areas, reporting, accounting, data, new business models, to enable any organization to transform into something that really serves the idea of a green, inclusive and open economy. So reporting in itself is not the solution. It is one part of a solution. Right. Last question probably for today. 
how could an individual engage in their organization, in the R3.0, to help in this agenda? Well, yeah, as I said, we are mainly a pre-competitive and market-making community of all of those people who have the same gut feeling that something is really wrong here, <laughs> something needs to change. So this is a community of about 7,000 individuals all over the world, stretched over all continents. They have all inscribed into our newsletter, so they receive a monthly newsletter from us. And then what they can actually really do is to organize or take part in what we call these transformation journey programs, where you learn all of the content that Reporting 3.0 in its blueprints has actually innovated. At the same time, we're also developing new blueprints. We go deeper in certain areas. For, for example, we're now working on, in total, four new blueprints, one on sustainable finance that really looks at the finance sector. That might actually be interesting for your ex-colleagues from the bank. We are working on a blueprint which is called Value Cycles, which looks at the definition of value and the idea of circularity, circular economy. In what I explained to you, you will maybe sniff that circular or being circular or a circular economy is not the end goal. It's a means to an end. And what still needs to be proven, as with any sustainability performance, is as well any circular solution actually sustainable. Honestly speaking, you don't know yet. So that needs to be safeguarded as well. And that's what this blueprint tries to achieve, to actually say anything that is circular has to achieve system value. If it doesn't do that, it's not circular. Well, it is circular, but it's not sustainable. We're working on a blueprint or just setting up the process for an education blueprint to also address what we've been discussing here as well, how education has to look if it truly serves the idea of sustainability, regeneration, and thriving. It has to be very, very different than the typical education schemes that we see nowadays. And finally, we're going to write a blueprint about governments, multilaterals, and foundations, because we are in touch with many of those organizations and we see how stuck they are in their own idea about how to support the idea of green, inclusive, and open. They have a very important role to play as an advocator, as a legal function, but mainly as a funder of important initiatives in that area. And they don't even know what impact they have. So there needs to be some hand-holding, some recommendations for these groups as well to explain what is expected from that in an era that wants to achieve a green, inclusive, and open economy. So these are the things that we're doing. Apart from that, we are organizing a yearly conference. Our next conference is in September in Rotterdam, in the Netherlands. And especially when you look at consultancies, universities, we have two very important programs. One is called the Advocation Partner Program. We already have about 90 organizations there that became advocation partners. That means that they use that publicly available know-how from R3.0. And I should say that all of our blueprints are global public goods. They are free of charge. Everybody can have them. We're not interested in any sort of fencing of our know-how. And then implement that with their clients. So creating sort of a snowball effect of the application of that know-how with their clients. And the Academic Alliance is really a response to universities, institutes, centers coming us to us and saying, well, it is interesting what you do for curriculum building, for case studies, and maybe for joint research. So there are different answers to your question for different constituencies, but 
we are very welcoming and very embracing for everybody who is wanting to you know, be involved in this community. I am your advocate now. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. I'll probably even attend this conference. I will certainly leave the links to everything that you mentioned, to the blueprints and the website and so on. And it was very insightful talking to you today. Thank you very much, Ralph, for your participation, for agreeing to be on this podcast, on this program. Thank you. Thanks for being here with us today and listening to this episode. This was the episode number 20, season 2 of the podcast called Sustainability Explored. If you liked this episode, found it useful or going to implement any advice given by Ralph uh, or check the articles on the website of r3.0 uh, or, or check the blog on Medium, please let me know or Ralph know via LinkedIn or any other way, we would very much appreciate your feedback and it will most certainly make us very, very happy. Uh, also, subscribe to this podcast not to miss any new episodes. Um, if you liked it, please leave a review, rate, comment on the platform you're listening on. We're now available on, I guess, 13 platforms so far, which is awesome. Uh, your review, your comments your stars will help other people to discover the podcast and help them educate themselves on sustainability thank you once again for listening and until next time take care stay sustainable <laughs>